Yes, I'm afraid I do think we're living in the end times. I feel like throughout time, everybody's kind of thought they were living in the end times. I don't, I don't think we are, because when I hear end times, I think anarchy, social chaos, economic chaos, political corruption. It's sort of there, but it's not like to the point where it's like abandon all hope. I would like to think that we're not living in the end times. I would hope that we have a bit more time to redeem ourselves. Natural disaster. Yeah. War between countries. Can I say Donald Trump is president? Is that okay to say if that's the end times? I think it'll just be a lot of turmoil, a lot of just, um, just negativity around the world. I really don't know, but it looked like there's gonna be a lot of killing. I think I would appreciate the little bit of time that I would have left um, more, trying to like spend it with those that mean the most to me. I think I would probably prioritize the things that I want to make sure that I do during my life. Maybe make a bucket list. I think I would like to change the relationships that I have with a lot of people. Well, I think we should live our life each day like we're in the end times. Yeah, live like there's no tomorrow. Well, hello. Good to see you guys. Welcome, everybody, to Seacoast Church. My name is Josh Surratt. I'm one of the pastors here. Excited about uh, being with you this weekend, especially if you're new to Seacoast. We want to welcome you. Maybe you uh, came on Easter last weekend and checking it out again, or maybe you're in town for the Bridge Run or Somerville Flower Town Festival. There's a tennis tournament in town. A lot of great stuff happening in Charleston. So if you're just in town visiting, we're glad that you're here as well. And uh, excited about this, this weekend's service. Uh, as you saw in the roll-in there, we're going to be talking about the end times. Before we get into that, though, I just wanted to look back at last week real quick. We, we ask you guys all the time leading up to Easter, which is kind of one of our biggest days of the year as a church. We ask you to attend different times and invite people and serve in different areas. And just want to report back on Easter last weekend. It was such an incredible weekend at all of our campuses. Uh, I know um, Somerville campus, they did two Saturday night services up there and had over 2,500 people worship at our Somerville campus, which is record there. And uh, North Charleston, our dream center in North Charleston had over a thousand people worship with them and just had uh, tons and tons of people make decisions to follow Christ. I know our Columbia campus, just insane, over 700 people up there in Sea Island, all of our campuses. So we're just really proud of uh, what, what everybody did to come together to share the gospel with, with the community. And all told at Seacoast, we had 24,134 people worship at our campuses and about 1,000 people commit their lives to Christ. So yeah, let's give God a hand for that. And I think probably my favorite part was watching so many of you jump in and get involved, be a part of our dream team and just serving and giving up your time, coming early, staying late, staying for multiple services because you, you wanted to see people have an encounter with God. And so just so grateful for the way all of you and all of our campuses, I was spent a little bit of time up at the Wando High School. We had 880 some people at Wando High School just for Easter only because we wanted to make space here in this facility. And so, but we're just grateful for all the way that you guys served. Let's get into today's message. Uh, I want to start with a question. How many of you guys have ever made a prediction that didn't exactly pan out the way that you thought it would? Just honestly. I mean, brackets count. NCAA tournament brackets count. Okay, yeah. A lot of us have, have done that. Some of the more notable ones in history. In 1962, Decca Recording Company 
rejected a band who came in and auditioned for them called the Beatles. Uh, they said, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. <laughs> Didn't exactly get that right. Most of us have heard of the Beatles. Not many of us have heard of Decca Recording Company. Uh, in 1977, there was a guy named Ken Olson. He was the, um, the, the chairman of Digital Equipment Company, which was a computer company. And he, ma- he said this about computers. He said, I can see no reason that anyone would ever want a computer in their home. Most of us are testimonies, so that not exactly turning out that way. And then in 2016, your lead pastor, yours truly, Josh Surratt, predicted that Kansas would beat Utah in his NCAA tournament bracket, neither of whom are still playing. I've also predicted that the Chicago Cubs would win the World Series most of the last decade, and it hadn't exactly happened that way. But it's not going to stop me from doing it again. I believe 2016 is the year, just so you know. um, This is going to be the year for the Cubs, and there's a few faithful believers that are here with me. But the truth is we we all get it wrong from time to time. This week we're starting a new series that I'm excited about. We're calling it My Friend Wants to Know. And what we've asked you guys to do is is to send us your questions. What what are some questions that you have? And maybe even the kinds of questions that are so real or or raw for you that you don't want to put your name on it. You know, you're asking for a friend, however you want to frame that. But we want you to help us set the agenda for the next five weeks of this series. And, and so you guys have been sending in text message questions. There's a phone number that you can continue to send those to. It's uh, 843-375-6035. And please keep sending those questions, some great, great questions that you guys have asked. And the most popular question that we've had is the one that we're going to address today, which is my friend wants to know, are we living in the end times? Are we living in the end times? The question came in several different ways, you know, a couple of them that came in. This one was, what end times prophecy has been fulfilled? What is happening now and what is left? Great question. The Bible's full of prophecy. Wanting to know some of that. And we'll, we'll touch on a little bit of that today. Another one, I like this. It says, end times, please. Smiley face, prayer hands. I don't know if they're praying for the end times to come or for us to talk about them, but, but that, that was cool. This one, uh, my friend wants to know, will Jesus come if Trump gets elected? Hashtag end times. <laughs> Going to stay away from that one today. Uh, next question was, uh, we're going to stay away from that one today. There we go. <laughs> My friend wants to know about the end times and if we are living in them. And why does that matter to me? I, I love that question because I think that really is what it boils down to is, are we living in the end times? And, and what does that have to do with me? So we're, we're going to talk about that this weekend. And I just got to say, Going into it, anytime we talk about a topic like this, the end times, there's some different extremes that are probably re- represented in the room and at our campuses. And th- th- there's some of you that you are so excited that we're talking about end times. You're, you're an end times enthusiast. You love to read about it. You love to research it. And uh, there are some of you even that you don't shop at stores like Sam's and Costco because you're not sure you're going to be around long enough to eat a 37-pound box of cornflakes, right? I mean, you're just... You're, you're excited about talking about it. You've, you've researched and, and, and we're glad that you're here. And then on the other side of it, there's some of us that are here today and you're kind of going, oh, like, I don't know. Are, are we really talking about what, what does it have to do with me? And you're just not all that interested. You figure when it comes, it'll come and, and you'll be ready for it or, or you won't. But you don't give a whole lot of thought to it. You don't, don't think about it a ton. And then there are a lot of us that are probably somewhere in the middle. You know, you're interested in the end times possibly even a little bit afraid about, my, about what might come up in the end times. And uh, you watch the news and 
You see all the stuff that's happening on the news. You, you, you see the stuff happening in the Middle East, and you see some of the persecution that's happening of Christians as recently as last Sunday on Easter in Pakistan, seeing many, many people killed who were, were there to celebrate their Christian faith on Easter. And maybe you notice some of the epidemics, the viruses that have broken out, the, the Zika virus that's happening right now, and you, you see that on the news, and then you notice the moral decline of our world at a rapid pace. And even if you don't know a whole lot about what the Bible says about it, you kind of are wondering, like, I, I piece some things together. Are we living in the end times? Are these the last days? So, so what does the Bible say about that? You might be surprised to know a whole lot. The Bible talks about the end times a ton. I mean, it's, it's the, the, there's over 300 references to the end times just in the New Testament of the Bible alone. One in every 30 verses in Scripture deals with the end times. So this is a subject that the Bible speaks to. It talks a lot about. Uh, there, there's 23 out of the 27 books in the New Testament talk about the end times, get into some of this stuff. And so there is a whole lot of stuff that we could cover. And frankly, there's no way we could possibly do it in a 35-minute message. And so, so here's what I want to do. I want to break it down into three different questions related to the end times, and, and we'll, we'll hit on some things, and then we'll, we'll try to make some application of it to our own lives in the last question. So the first question is this, when will all of this end? When will all of this end? You know, there have been a lot of predictions around this particular question. In 1988, there was a man named Edgar Wisenant, and he wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Does anybody remember this book? Any of you heard of it? A couple of you guys? Listen, I tried to buy it this week on Amazon. I couldn't find it. So if you have it, I think it's worth some money. But th this, this book, actually this guy was a very smart man and researched and studied this stuff, and he was convinced that the end times were going to happen in 1988, and it sold several hundred thousand copies of this book. Now on January 1st of 1989, it went out of print, and so Sad for him. He actually did another version of it in, I think, 92 and another one in 96, and then he ended up passing away in the summer of 2001. But he, he, didn't, he didn't get it right, obviously. You guys remember Isaac Newton, the physicist, you know, Newton's law of you know, gravity and all that stuff. Very, very smart man. And he, he actually wrote a book called Observations Upon the Prophecies of Daniel and the Apocalypse of St. John. So Revelation and Daniel. And he predicted that the millennium, Christ's millennium, which is after the tribulation part of the end time scenario would start in the year 2000. And so he got that one wrong. You know, we study Newton's law of physics, but not Newton's law of the end times because he, he, didn't, he didn't figure it out. You guys remember 2012. Uh, there was a movie that came out called 2012, and a lot of people were really uh, hyped up about this Mayan calendar, this ancient civilization. The Mayans had this calendar, and it pointed to December 21st, 2012, was going to be the, the end of the world, and it didn't happen. And you know, whether you're looking at religious scholars or scientists or you know, our culture, everybody wants to talk about and predict the end of the world. I thought it was going to happen. Actually, I ran in the Cooper River Bridge Run. Uh, and between mile two and three on the uphill slope of the bridge, I thought the end was going to come. In fact, I prayed for it to come, <laughs> and it didn't. So, so needless to say, I'm not going to go on record with a date. Uh, I'm not going to add my name to the list of people who've been wrong there. But, but it's interesting because the disciples actually asked Jesus the same question. Look at the, the next passage on your outline sheet. It says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, which was an area he liked to hang out at overlooked Jerusalem, the disciples came to him privately. 
It's like, okay, Jesus, this is just between us guys. You know, we know that you know all things. And, and, and so they asked him this. They said, when will this happen? This happened, as actually talking about Jesus had said prior to that, that the temple of Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. So that specific question was about that. But then they said, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When's it going to happen? When's the end of the world going to be? And Jesus went on to say a whole lot. In fact, Matthew chapter 24, there's going to be a lot of things that we touch on that you'll go, man, I'd like to learn more about that, or I'd like to research more of that. Matthew 24 would be a great chapter if you're really interested in this stuff to read, because Jesus talked a lot about it. But here's what he said at the end of that chapter, towards the end of it, in verse 36. He said, but about that day or hour, nobody knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So that's what Jesus said about predicting the end times is that, that nobody knows that day. Jesus himself didn't even know when it was going to be. And so, but what he did do is he talked a lot about some signs of the time. He wouldn't give a date, but he gave some signs. And the book of Daniel talks a lot about some signs. Revelation talks about signs. A lot of different passages talk about different signs that would be indicators for us that we might be living in the end times. And so I just want to put a couple of them up, make, make a little list here. And in your mind, I want you to make a checklist. Are those things happening today? Are they not? And then we'll see what we can do with it. International wars. Jesus said that nation would rise up against nations. Uh, this is, so you'd have international wars. You'd have political revolutions. Uh, Daniel talks about that. You'd have famines. You'd have these um, people would be going hungry. There wouldn't be enough food to spread around for everybody. You'd have earthquakes that would happen. These, these are big ones, earthquakes. Even at the end of the times, if you look at some of the Ezekiel and Daniel end times prophecy, earthquakes are big. Epidemics, spread of diseases. You've got Natural disasters is one of the signs, you know, that the, the, the weather patterns would be a little bit crazy. You'd have persecution of Christians. The Bible talks a lot about that, that in the last days, it's going to be very difficult for believers to, to stand on their faith because there would be a lot of persecution that would happen against Christians. You would have rampant immorality. I'll show you a scripture that talks about that in just a minute. And then you would have worldwide spread of the message of Jesus. And again, I'll show you a scripture on that too. So I want you to look, this isn't a comprehensive list. There's a lot more uh, that the Bible talks about and, and I can't get into all of it. But, but as you look through some of these things, you, you decide for yourself, do you see these things happening? Because what Jesus said is, hey, be aware of some of the signs that the end is coming soon. And, and the reality is, is that every generation that has lived from the time Jesus went back to heaven to today, every generation has thought that they were living in the end times. They have. Every generation has seen different uh, ones of these signs. Think about World War II and how, how, I mean, many people thought, man, this is it. We're living in the last days. The, the, the thing that I think is different for us, this generation, most of these signs have happened during every generation, but I believe that today we're living in a time where it's the only generation where we're seeing or we're going to see all of those signs happening simultaneously. And, and the big one that Jesus talked about, Matthew 24, verses 12 through 13, uh, 14, it says, because of the increase of wickedness, remember the rampant immorality, says the love of most will grow cold. By the way, if you're a believer, he's talking about us. The, the love of most believers is gonna grow cold. So we gotta pay attention to that. Is it happening in my life? But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom 
will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So the gospel of Jesus is going to be preached to the entire world, every nation, every language, and that's, that's not happened before. But here's what I believe. I believe that we are living in a generation because of this right here, uh, this, this, this phone that I have right here, where this is going to happen during our lifetime. In fact, there are organizations, Wycliffe is one of them that translates the Bible, and, and they will have translated the Bible into every single language in our generation. Uh, it's, it's going to happen. And it's crazy if you think about this, this phone right here. Some of you have version uh, as a Bible app on your phone. If you don't, I'd encourage you to, to get it. And that has a number of different translations as well. But literally in, in what, a decade or two ago, if you wanted to if you wanted to open up a Bible school or Bible college in a, in a country or in a different place, you would literally have to go to this place. You'd have to find land. You'd have to build a building. You'd have to get people to staff it, to teach it, to make it happen. Literally, there are Bible colleges. There are cemeteries, uh, not cemeteries, seminaries. We used to call seminary cemeteries uh, on this phone. I have, I have some of them. In fact, somebody in the last service was showing me that even for the deaf, every deaf person, uh, language, there are different, you know, sign languages for, for the deaf are on an app that are being translated every different language. And this stuff's happening on a cell phone. This is new. This is in the last 10 years that we, we've lived in a time where the gospel literally can go to every place in the world. And so if you're asking me based on that, I would say my opinion is that we are living in the end times. Yeah, I believe that we are a generation that, that is living in the end times based on some of the pro- prophecies that are in the Bible. I might be wrong. A lot of generations have thought that, but I do believe that as you look at that, and it's important to pay attention to the signs, my opinion is that, that we probably are. But, but it's interesting to look at the way that Revelation talks about this. The book of Revelation is a, a prophecy that the Apostle John had, and, and we're not going to get into a ton of that today, but there's so much in here, a lot of symbolism and stuff. But, but look what Jesus said in Revelation 22 and verse 7. He said, look, I am coming soon. Then look at the next one, verse 10 of the same chapter. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Verse 12 says again, Jesus said, look, I'm coming soon. And then one of the last verses in the entire Bible says, he who testifies to these things, that was Jesus, says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. When is the end of the world? Soon. That's, that's the best answer I can give you is when, when are we going to experience the end times? When is Jesus coming back? Soon. It may be during our lifetime. It may not be. But, but I can't help but wonder if Jesus didn't want every generation to live like that. If Jesus wasn't intentional with his language of saying soon that he wants all of us to, to live as if we're in the end times. Because whether he comes back during our lifetime or whether we end up dying and going to be with him, we all are going to face the end of our earthly lives here. And, and so the time is near. The end is soon. I heard somebody say we should live as if Jesus died on the cross yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is coming back tomorrow with a sense of urgency of our lives. If the first century believers thought it was going to happen in their lifetime, what's holding God up? Has something happened? Why hasn't he come back yet? Look at this next passage. It says, but yeah, but you, you must not forget, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. In other words, 
soon to God may not be the same as our definition of soon. For God, a thousand years is like a day. And so he's not delayed on his timeline. Says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. So he's giving more time for everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. What's the holdup? Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? It's because God is so in love with humanity. And he cares so much about every single one of us that he's being patient with us. He's being patient. He's waiting. He doesn't want anybody to perish. So the first question, when will all of this end? The best answer I can give you is soon, soon. Let's look at the next question. How will all of this end? How will all of this end? Now, stay with me here. It may get a little bit technical uh, for a couple minutes. Here's one thing I know about how it's going to end. Every expert on the end times is going to be surprised in some way or another. I don't think anybody has figured this thing out. A lot of people have tried to interpret a lot of the different stuff that the Bible says, and there's all kinds of different perspectives and worldviews on this, and, and we don't have time to get into each one of them. But what I want to do for this little section is there, there's a lot of terms There's a lot of lingo, end times lingo that some of it you've probably heard of, some of it maybe you haven't heard of, but but, but I want to look at a few of these different words and some of the things we know for sure that the Bible talks about, and then we'll kind of piece it together. The the first one is this, the rapture, Uh, the word the rapture. Have you guys, who's heard of the word the rapture? Uh, Some of you remember the book, um, the the book, Tim LaHaye, um, yeah, Left Behind, thank you, that book, Uh, real popular about the rapture. And the rapture is this idea that at some point during the end, God is going to take his people out of the world, that, that we're just going to be snatched from this world. Both those that have died before us and the people that are currently living are going are gonna to disappear. We're going to be taking, taken out of the world to be with him forever. It's the idea of the rapture. You may say, well, Josh, I've heard that the rapture is not actually in the Bible. And technically, you would be right about that. The word rapture is not in the Bible. The, bird, the word rapture is, actually comes from a Latin word called rapio, and it's a word that when you translate the Greek uh, of the New Testament into Latin, you see the word rapio, and it comes from this passage of Scripture I want to show you about. Paul talked about this in, um, in Thessalonians. I think I've got it up here. Yep. He, he said, uh, then, together with them, by the way, it's 1 Thessalonians 4.17, another great section of Scripture to talk about end times, 1 Thessalonians 4, what happens when I die, what happens, all that stuff. That's a great chapter if you want to learn more about that, research more about that. But he said, then together with them, them being the Christians who have died, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up. That's the phrase, caught up is translated into Latin rapio, which is where we get the word rapture. So that's one of the places that the Bible talks about this idea. It says, we'll be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we'll remain with him forever. Jesus talked at one point in scripture about the fact that that there will be two people plowing a field and one of them will all of a sudden be gone. We'll we'll be caught up with the Lord in heaven. It's this idea of the rapture. He even talked about it to the disciples in John chapter 14, verses one through three. He said, don't be troubled. He said, you trust God, now trust in me. This is at the last supper. He said, there are many rooms in my father's home and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. He says, if this weren't so, I would tell you plainly. Then he says, in this next portion, he says, when everything is ready, I'm going to come 
and I'm going to get you so that you will always be with me where I am. It's a promise that Jesus made to his disciples. Long before Arnold Schwarzenegger made it famous, Jesus said, I will be back. I'm coming back for my people, for my church. That's good news. That's good news. There's another term. It's not nearly as fun as that one. It's called the tribulation. You guys familiar with that, that phrase, the, the, the tribulation? This is a, a word in the Bible that refers to a period of time when God is going to judge the world and everything in it. It's, it's not going to be a good time. The Bible portrays the tribulation as, as actually a terrible, terrible time, full of war, disasters, and plagues. A lot of people believe it's going to be a seven-year period of time. Uh, some people think the number seven is symbolic. I actually believe that it's going to be literally a seven-year period of time. And the book of Daniel refers to this. Revelation refers to this. But in Daniel, um, I actually was going to talk a lot more about this, but we just don't have time for it. We may put some stuff out on the website or on our Facebook page that gives some more information about this. But Daniel talked about 70 different seven-year periods of history that, that he saw in a, in a prophecy. And 69 of those 70 different seven-year periods of history have happened and happened exactly according to the timeline that Daniel said they were going to. It's really fascinating stuff to look into. But the last one is a seven-year period of time that, that we know as the tribulation. And, and he goes into great detail about what's going to happen during the tribulation. But, but what we know for sure is that it's a seven-year period of, or I believe it's a seven-year period of judgment that's going to immediately precede the second coming of Christ. There's going to be catastrophes. There's going to be earthquakes, fires, famines, other natural disasters. It's not going to be a good period of time. So here's the, the question. Will Christians go through the tribulation? Will the church go through the tri tribulation? That question's been discussed a lot of, for a long period of time, and there are a lot of different perspectives on that. I'll, I'll kind of go through a couple of them. Uh, some people think that the rapture is going to happen right before the tribulation begins. And there's a couple of passages of Scripture that they point to that may or may not indicate that. It's, it's, uh, we don't really know for sure. Uh, I know people who have studied this a ton and are very smart on it who see it different ways. But some people think that right before this tribulation that the rapture is going to happen and God's going to take his people away. Other people think that it's going to happen exactly in the middle of this tribulation, that there would be three and a half years of the tribulation that would be actually relatively peaceful, that there's going to be a, a negotiation of peace in Israel and in the Middle East, and then, then at the three and a half year mark, Christians are going to be taken away, and then the, the, the tribulation is going to happen. And then there are other people who believe the rapture is going to happen after the tribulation. And so we'll all go through the seven years together, and then when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation, that the rapture is going to happen, God's people are going to be caught up. And so you have pre-tribulation uh, pre millennialists, you have mid-tribulation millennialists, and you have post-tribulation millennialists. What am I? What do I think? I'm a pan-trib millennialist, which means I think it's all going to pan out in the end, and I'm not exactly sure how. I'd like to think that we'll be raptured beforehand. I really would. That would be, that would be my preference and my hope, but I also want to be prepared if it's not the case. I want a church, our church to be ready that if, if we live through this, we would, we would stand firm until the end like Jesus talked about. So, so what about the Antichrist? The Antichrist, that's another, another word that you've probably heard thrown around from time to time. And the Antichrist is a, a figure that's portrayed in Revelation, also talked about in Daniel. It doesn't use that language, but it talks about a ruler or a king in Daniel that, that's going to be a, the leader of a global government who opposes God and opposes God's people. Eventually, he's going to claim to become God himself. 
Most think that he's going to be a charismatic leader who's going to help resolve a lot of the Middle East turmoil. Again, Daniel talks about this being a person who would actually negotiate peace in Israel. But then he's going to reveal his true colors, and, and it's going to be a, a, basically a representative of Satan, the Antichrist. A lot of people thought that Hitler was the Antichrist back in World War II because of what he had done. It's interesting, Martin Luther uh, accused the Pope of being the Antichrist, and the Pope accused Martin Luther of being the Antichrist way back when I thought it was Justin Bieber early on, but he actually got saved and baptized, so I'm, I'm backing off of that. But whomever it is is going to be popular, but eventually he's going to reveal himself as, as a, real, a real problem. And then there's another word, Armageddon. Armageddon. Some of you saw the movie, uh, Armageddon, and it's, it's this, this word that refers to a battle that's going to take place at the end of the tribulation between the forces of Satan and between Jesus. And a lot of people think that this battle is going to happen in a valley called Megiddo that's in Israel. I've actually been to it, and it's a valley that, that you can get to from north to south in, in Israel pretty easily. Some people think it's going to happen in Jerusalem. There's a lot written about it and a lot left to be interpreted. But, but the, the, here's what you need to know about Armageddon. A battle's going to happen, and Jesus is going to win. That's the bottom line, that Jesus is going to come and he's going to win and he's going to, he's going to make all things new. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And, and, and that's where we get the second coming of Christ is during, at the end of the tribulation, the second coming of Christ, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to defeat the enemy for good. And, and, and there's a lot of other phrases that we could get into, the millennium, and, and there's some interesting stuff that we could talk about, but we just, we're not going to get into all of that today. But here's what we know for sure. The world's going to be judged, that's for sure. And, and you can feel good about that because it means you don't have to right every wrong that happens. You don't have to get revenge for everything that happens. God ultimately is the judge. He's going to judge the world. We can know that God's people are going to be taken out of the world to be with him forever. And we can know that in the end, Jesus wins. Doesn't really matter what or when the tribulation is or when the rapture happens or, or who the Antichrist is. It doesn't matter that we figure all that out. What matters is that we know that Jesus wins and that we can have confidence in that. So, when is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? If you're like me, there are a lot more questions than there are answers related to those things. But, but, but there's a third question that I want to talk about, and I think it's the most important one. It's how should I live in light of the end times? What does it matter to me? How should I live in light of the end times? Second Peter 3 10 talks about this. Peter said, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Then he says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That my friends is a good question. What kind of people should you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. Even indicates that the way that we live our lives and, and how we steward the lives that we had may, may be able to speed God's coming. How should we live in light of the fact that we may be living in the end times? And in light of the fact that the end is gonna come, we, 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 should, we should live holy and blameless lives. First thought under that point is follow God and not culture. Follow God and not culture. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you're like me, you see these words like pure and holy, blameless, and you go, gosh, I'm not, I'm not perfect. It's, it's not actually a call to be perfect. The, the biblical, the translation is literally set apart, that God's called us to be set apart from our culture, that we should look different than the world. And we talked a lot about this in, in our series that we did right before Easter called Daniel, when faith and culture collide. And if you missed some of that, you may want to go back and look at it. But God's people need to follow God and not culture. We have every reason to believe, and we're seeing it today, that it's going to be increasingly difficult to do that and, and, and to fit in in our culture to make sense. Even as we talk about the events of the end times, the culture's view on these things is never going to line up with God's. And while heaven and, and hell and, and the second coming of Jesus may go out of style in our culture, they're, they're not going out of business. They're not, God isn't backing down from what, what, what he said. God is going to be the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. And so we need to anchor our, our belief system, anchor our hope in God and not in our culture. And you can fill in the blank on the issue. The Bible speaks to it. We just got to trust, even when we don't understand why or, why or how, that God's word is true and is going to stand forever. Follow God, not culture. Secondly, be ready for Christ's return. Be ready for Christ's return. Matthew 24, that same passage that Jesus talked about these things. He said, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord is going to come. Keep watch. Be ready. Would you agree that your level of preparedness can definitely determine what kind of experience you're going to have? And any, anything, I'm thinking about the bridge run. I ran the bridge run this year. And um, I didn't really prepare for it. I, I've, I've been trying to run a mile every day. Uh, the bridge run is 6.2 miles, uh, which is a lot longer than a mile. The furthest I'd run at all at one time this year was three miles. And so I wasn't prepared for the bridge run like I have been in the past. And I can tell you right now, I'm sore. I was slower this year. And worst of all, my wife actually beat me in the bridge run this year. And so there are consequences not being ready. And obviously when we talk about being ready for, for the end times, it's so much more important that we're prepared for Christ's return than it is that we're ready for a race or prepared to have people in our homes. Honestly, our eternity is at stake. Our eternity is at stake. We have to be ready for Christ's return. How, how do I get ready for that? The most important thing that you can do is if you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, you need to do that. If you've never gotten to a point where you realize, man, I, I don't have it all together. And in fact, the, the sin that I deal with, the sin that I struggle with separates me from the living God, that God is pure, God is blameless. And the only way for me to be pure in his eyes is to receive the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, that Jesus came, he died on a cross and he rose from the dead all to take my sin and your sin and all of humanity's sin upon himself. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see your issues. He doesn't see where you've fallen short. He sees, man, my son paid for that. My son died for that person. And if you wanna be ready for the end of the world, be ready for Jesus' coming, you have to make that decision. You've got to decide, I'm gonna follow, I'm gonna put my hope and my trust in Christ. Be ready for his coming. I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that in just a couple of minutes. But the third thought here is make the most of this life. Make the most of this life. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
Are you making the most of your life? Not in a eat, drink, and be merry sort of a way, but in a God has a plan for your life. God has a, a, a will, purposes for every single one of us. One of our values here at Seacos is that we would not only discover our purpose and, and figure out how God's wired us, but that we would live our lives to make a difference, to make the most of the, the opportunities that God has given us. I believe that he's placed you in the city that you live in, in the neighborhood that you live in, at the job that you're in, not because it's the place where you can make the most money, but because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. He wants to use you. He wants us as his church to take, make, make the most of the opportunities we have. Our lives are but a vapor. There are several passages of Scripture that speak to the brevity of our lives. We need to make the most of it. You know, as I was studying and wrapping up my study on, on the end times, it, it occurred to me, and I remembered that one of the metaphors that the Bible uses for Jesus' relationship with us, the church, is, is that of a wedding, of, of a bride and a groom. Jesus is the groom, and we as the church are his bride, and he's, he's coming back for his bride. In fact, in Revelation, I think it's 19 or 20, talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is another one of these end times terminologies. We didn't get into it today, but basically after Jesus comes back and he, he sets things right and he defeats the enemy, the first thing he's gonna do is he's gonna throw a big old party for his bride. And we're gonna have a wedding reception that is unlike anything you've ever been to. And he, it's gonna be a great, great moment and opportunity for us to celebrate. Jesus, the groom, is coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his church. Then I started to think about the letters that Jesus wrote to the church in the early part of Revelation. He wrote seven different letters and I'm not gonna get into those today, but, but one of the common themes that you see, one of the things that Jesus was, was disappointed in in his church, see, the, the beef that he had with his church is that they had lost their first love, that, that they had grown cold in their love for him. Started to make sense to me. If Jesus as a groom has been preparing for this day, he's been preparing to come back to be reunited with his bride, only to come back and find a church that had grown cold in, in their love. Yeah, I remember my wedding day, May the 5th, 2001, almost 15 years ago, and I can tell you there was so much anticipation and, and planning and prepping for this day and and I, I was running, trying to get in shape. I was doing everything I could to be ready for this incredible wedding day that I was going to have with my wife. I can only imagine standing across the altar from her and looking into her eyes and there not being any love there. Her not being excited, her not having planned or prepared, that would be crazy to think about. But, but there's a wedding day coming, friends. Jesus is coming back. A groom has been preparing for us, his church. My prayer for us is not that we will have figured out all the end time stuff, that we'll get it all right. We're not going to. We're going to get some of it wrong. It's, it's good to learn about it. It's good to study it. My prayer is that when Jesus comes back for his church, and, and, and if he were to write a letter to this section called Seacoast, that he would say, man, you may have missed it on some of the details of my second coming, but you were white hot in love with me. You were waiting for me. You were, you were waiting the groom to get there. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for us as a church. Are you growing in your love of Jesus? Is, is that fire being stoked? And it's not about a feeling. I mean, we, we know if you've been, I've been married 15 years. The feelings 
ebb and flow and they come and they go, but, but growing in that love is making a choice and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend time with you. I'm going to be with your church family. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in the things that, you, that, that are important to you. I'm, I'm going to grow in my love for the church. There's a wedding coming, Seacoast. Let's be ready for it. Let's be ready for it. Would you pray with me as we close? God, I thank you so much, Lord, that not only did you die for us, that would have been enough, that you laid down your life for us. Not only did you conquer death and raise from the dead, but, but you're coming back for us. Lord, I thank you that we can, we can anchor our hope and, and not just uh, hoping, but believing and knowing, knowing that it's gonna happen, that you're coming back for your church. God, my prayer for us as a church here at Seacoast, for the church at large, is that we would be ready. Lord, that our hearts would be set ablaze again for you. Some of us, Lord, maybe even if we were being honest, we'd say we're, we're growing cold in our love for you, that we would be prepared. Lord, that you would rekindle that fire today. Let us be a church that's prepared for your coming. In Jesus' name, amen.